Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome back to Politico Tech. Today's Tuesday, January 30th. I'm Stephen Overly. For this podcast, I'm constantly talking to people about artificial intelligence threats and ways to combat them. But former Republican Congressman Will Hurd has a perspective unlike just about any other. He spent two years on the board of OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, and is now warning that AI is too powerful to be left in the hands of a few Silicon Valley players. The technological evolution that we're going to see in the next 43 years is going to make the last 43 years look like we were a bunch of monkeys playing in the dirt with sticks. Now, Hurt tried to regulate this stuff during his time in politics. He spent six years on Capitol Hill, where he held some of the first hearings on AI. And before dropping out of the race, he was chasing the Republican nomination for president as the lone candidate with an AI platform. Now, Hurt has penned an op-ed for Politico with recommendations for how his former Hill colleagues and the Biden administration can head off AI's biggest risks. Here's our conversation. Congressman, thank you for joining us here on Politico Tech. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So you've written this op-ed for Politico, and I want to start with where the op-ed starts, which you write, at one point in my two years on the board of OpenAI, I experienced something that I had only experienced once in my over two decades of working in national security. I was freaked out by a briefing. Tell me about that freakout. The freakout started because our engineers were explaining kind of the next evolution of the development of the, the GPT models within OpenAI and seeing the capabilities, right? Witnessing DALI and GPT-4 in advance of everybody else's having this in their hands was pretty crazy. It was a realization about how powerful these tools were going to be. Because I I still would say this stuff is dumb. It's not super intelligent. It's still dumb. But it shows where this is going. And seeing it in a live demonstration was like, holy mackerel, this is literally what everybody's been talking about. What's even funnier is when we released ChatGPT, it was a pretty low-key release, partly because we're like, hey, all the other stuff we're working on is way more sexier and wild, and we didn't expect 10 million downloads in in 24 hours, right? And so even practitioners that are working on this recognize the power of it. You know, I I have to ask, you left OpenAI in June of 2023, which was months before the drama unfolded around the the board ousting CEO Sam Altman and then him returning to the company. What kind of warning signs did you see in your time on the board that there was sort of some underlying disagreement within the company? I think this underlying disagreement was always the debates that were being had. Like at the end of the day, those four board members that tried to hijack OpenAI have still never explained with a level of detail why the hell they did it. This is how many months, months later. And some have tried to intimate it was this debate over speed versus safety. And I can tell you that's bullshit. So when I was on the board 
the supermajority of our time was focused on the issue of safety and alignment. And alignment in, you know, you have a very sophisticated uh, listeners, but alignment in, in the AI space means is the algorithm going to follow human intentions? And here's what we have learned. The more powerful the algorithm gets, the less likely it is to follow human intention. I right? like that's pretty nuts. So we know this. This has always been an issue. And saying that the company was not focused on security is just absolutely insane. Um, it's one of the things that Sam Altman, the CEO, always is talking about. My personal experiences was that was always the case. Now, the bigger problem is the board had shrunk. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, and so you didn't have enough people. That's a poor governance issue. And that's going to be rectified. And then you also didn't have the existing board members having the experience or know how how to leverage and manage a 90 billion dollar company. And I think all of those things came to a head, which everybody should be concerned with, because should four people have the equivalent of a nuclear weapon? And then I always compare artificial intelligence to nuclear fission, nuclear fission. Controlled gives you nuclear energy, clean, unlimitless power. Nuclear fission uncontrolled gives you nuclear weapons that could blow up the world. And artificial intelligence, and specifically artificial general intelligence, AGI, which OpenAI is focused on, has that capability. You get at this in the op-ed as well, you know, where you write, as this technology becomes more science fact than science fiction, the governance can't be left to the whims of a few people. Is, is that where we're at right now? Because it, it seems like obviously OpenAI has a lot of power here, but it really is a small number of tech companies right now that hold a lot of the AI cards. I would agree with that. And, and also, I think governments around the world are, are incapable of managing this. I think Europeans are probably 18 to 24 months ahead of Congress in the United States on passing some kind of meaningful legislation on how do you control AI. You know, the, what, what, what people fail, this is what I'm always explaining to folks. The technological evolution that we're going to see in the next 43 years is going to make the last 43 years look like we were a bunch of monkeys playing in the dirt with sticks. And I use 43 years specifically because in 1981 is when the IBM personal computer came out, the IBM PC. In 43 years, we've gone from, ha from having a digital tool that we can use to write our words to having our digital tools, creating words autonomously. That's pretty crazy in 43 years. However, the type of change we're going to see in the future is going to be even faster. What is the best way to prevent AI from being subject to the whims of just a few people if governments are kind of incapable of regulating it effectively? We already have concentration in industry, and, and we sort of see the way that's trended with past technological waves. Like, what is the solution here? I will tweak something you said, Stephen. It's not that governments are incapable. They're, they're almost unwilling, and they would rather talk about this stuff and use it as a political bludgeon than solving the problem. Right? Sure, so okay. the political will needs to be there to do this. And I held the first hearings in Congress on artificial intelligence. In 2015, I was like, what? This is the first hearing in the history of Congress on AI? Like, what the heck? It was funny. The debates devolved to would a drone delivering a package be spying in my window? And I'm like, you ain't worried about the FedEx guy peeping in your window. Like, like, why are we why are we acting like this is different? This is new. The problem that we've had, like, I think we didn't start with AI needs to follow the law. It's real simple. What do I mean by that? If a bank uses algorithms to determine whether someone gets a bank loan and that banker misuses the algorithm to deny someone a home loan based on race or gender, or whatever, they violate the law. Now, 
if the banker uses the algorithm appropriately and the algorithm itself is the one that discriminates against that individual, then the developer of the algorithm is liable. It's that simple. Well, you know, this is something that your former colleagues are debating right now, which is to what extent does existing law kind of cover the basis with AI or is something new needed, right? The Senate has been doing this entire listening series. What do you make of that? Where do you come down on that question? It's one line, real simple. AI has to follow existing laws, period, full stop. Just because, again, like, let's talk about the the issue around fair use of copyrights and such, right? If somebody writes a book and uses information from my blogs to sell that book, and it's beyond fair use, then I should be compensated. Like, let's use those same laws. And the other example I use, guess what? Those AI-generated naked pictures of Taylor Swift, they weren't on Politico. They weren't on New York Times. They weren't on CBS News. Why? Because there's rules against that. But because we carved out social media for the Section 230, right? Yep. because we carved it out, that's why that stuff is able to happen. So let's not do that with this new technology and say, guess what? Right now, we have a lot of great laws on the books. We don't need new laws. We just got to say AI has to follow them. Personally, I think that might be a coming legal challenge is whether or not Section 230 covers artificial intelligence, because I've heard several members of Congress say it shouldn't, it doesn't. I don't think companies see it that way. That might be one for the courts. Sure, sure, Stephen, but like Section 230 is so small compared to the broader issue of AI. You know, this is something Paul Ryan always would say, you know, I'm, I'm from South Texas. We don't play hockey down here. Um, but he would always say, you got to skate to where the puck is going. Let me get a little philosophical for a second. You know, Niels Bohr was, you know, we all remember the Bohr model of the atom, right? He was one of the fathers of nuclear science. He said that science was the gradual erosion or the gradual removal of prejudice. And what do you mean by that? Understanding the earth revolves around the sun, remove the prejudice that the earth is a center of the universe, right? Uh, Finding microbes, remove the prejudice that disease is a form of divine intervention. The advent of electricity, remove the prejudice that human labor and natural light is the only sources of energy. The development of AGI, artificial general intelligence, is going to remove the prejudice that human intelligence is the pinnacle of cognitive development. So we have to accept that. So when we start getting the things that are smarter than us, we got to make sure those things are supposed to be uh, follow the laws that we follow. And this notion that this is going to curb ingenuity and this is going to impact startup companies, all that is nonsense. And that's a talking point people use to ignorant lawmakers. And that's something that ignorant lawmakers use to sound like they're being tough. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. Well, let me talk about one of the ideas that I I know you've, one of the ideas I know you're supporting, and that's this a sort of safety permitting process, right? For for companies developing these these most risky, most powerful AI systems, there are skeptics who say that that idea will only further entrench dominant tech players. What's your response to that criticism? 
So I'm shaking my head and, and partly because guess what? To get to a certain point, research, development, all that kind of stuff, you don't need those those approvals. As soon as it touches and is going to be offered to the public in a open way, that's at a certain level. It requires, I think, NIST approval. Stephen, if, if you and I wanted to start a parking lot in Washington, D.C., Right. We would need to get a freaking permit. Come on. This is if, if you and I want to build a nuclear power plant. Guess what? We have to get a permit. And so. So, yes, this should be something that it shouldn't take forever to get. There should be a finite set of, of things. We have a general idea of the kinds of stuff we should be checking for. And so so to me, this notion that anybody is going to get a handicap, because guess what? If you're developing a model that's of a certain size as a company, you've already reached a certain scale where it's not like this is going to be be you and me in our basement creating this super powerful thing that's going to require NIST approval. And what do you think of what the Biden administration is doing here? Because I'm sure you've read in, in recent days, the Commerce Department is using the Defense Production Act, and it's going to require companies to sort of report certain information about large language models and frontier models that they're developing. Is that enough? I think most people know me know that I'm not like super partisan, like I, I call a spade a spade. And I will say when it comes with to AI, starting with Obama, then President Trump, and then President Biden, you've had folks within these administrations that have done some really good work on having the federal government and the executive branch focusing on AI. So I would say everybody's been do- working hard to try to do this. But some of the latest executive order was, in my opinion, the basic of saying, hey, if y'all are doing something really interesting, let us know. Let a brother know, right? The administration doesn't have enough on saying, hey, this is what everybody needs to be doing so that we can develop this in a way that's safe and fair and doesn't create harms. I want to ask you a national security question, too, because you have such a unique background professionally in your time in Congress. And, you know, I should note, you know, you were notably the, to my knowledge, the only Republican candidate on the campaign trail that had an AI platform. But one of the points there was that our military and our border security needs to be better equipped with AI technology. In your view, what is our greatest national security vulnerability there? This gets into the issue of the AI arms race. And, and look, Steve, I, I, I appreciate your podcast. The one on ASML was really fascinating. The conversation with the dude from the UN was really fascinating. And it's a competition, period, full stop. Like, like, like we're not going to be able to stop that. If Xi Jinping came up and said, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, hey, we're all going to work together. Right. Like, come on. We're, this is not we're not going to try to to get a edge on this technology to further repress our people and to screw our neighbors and to, to put pressure on people are, are in Africa and Europe. Oh, we're not going to do that. Y'all come on. That's nonsense. Right. And so we have to develop these tools to one, defend and protect against ourselves. And so where are we deficient? To me, it's how are we using AI to make our military the greatest fighting force possible? How are we using it to better use the data and understand what we have? I can tell you this, when I was in the CIA and, and sitting on HIPSI, you know, NSA was sitting on audio records of terrorists overseas in a language that we couldn't, we didn't have the time and, and the manpower to figure out what the hell they were saying. We can use AI tools to address that. And then ultimately, the future of cybersecurity is good AI versus bad AI. And my fear is, can we operate in a communications denied environment 
We know that if a conflict in the South China Sea erupts and with the elections in Taiwan a couple of weeks ago increases the chances of that. I think the Chinese thought that the opposition party was getting power and they were going to be able to do in Taipei what they had done in Hong Kong. They're not going to be able to do that because of the leadership that is going to continue in Taiwan. So can we operate with our tools in the South China Sea in a communication denied environment? And that's that's my biggest concern. And AI, quantum, um, all these technologies are going to be able to help us deal with that. On the flip side, you know, I wonder what concerns you have about national security agencies, including, you know, the CIA, where you used to work, having unfettered use of these technologies. What guardrails, I guess, need to be in place to prevent any sort of abuse of AI by our own, you know, agencies? Well, it's the same guardrails that are in place to prevent them from abusing tap, you know, being able to tell tap your phone or to get into your house and unreasonable search and seizures, right? Um, I think it starts with the thing that makes the United States government unique is that our intelligence agencies have civilian oversight. There's nobody else in the world that has that. And so our legislators that are overseeing our intelligence services need to be able to do that. How these tools are being used with inside the intelligence services need to be articulated, just like, you know, the FBI can't go and kick down somebody's door. Again, it goes back to my original point. Follow the law. The intel agencies can't use AI to do something they can't do right now, is the way I look at, at that particular issue. You know, the next two years are going to see a lot of advancement in this technology. Certainly the next five years, we're expected to see a lot of advancement in this technology. So whoever our next president is, is going to have a, a significant role to play, right, in managing how that gets rolled out. The way things are looking right now is it will be a rematch of sorts between uh, former President Trump and President Biden, barring anything unexpected on the, the Republican primary. Who of them is best equipped to handle this critical period? I don't subscribe to the fact that this is a fait accompli that Donald Trump is a nominee. Yes, he's the front runner. Yes, he won the first two states. But, you know, one percent of the people voted in Iowa and more people are stuck on Route 66 in Washington, D.C. and Virginia than voted in in New Hampshire. So this is not over and, and we shouldn't accept that. However, the two leading front runners are not equipped to be able to handle this stuff. I think the the staff that they will bring in, the folks that handled AI policy under Donald Trump were pretty fantastic people. The folks that are working on it for President Biden right now um, are pretty good. But what we need are leaders that are willing to say, hey, this is something we can talk about and have an understanding of. And yes, our two leading um, candidates are not equipped to handle the most important technology that we've seen in our lifetime. Would Nikki Haley be better, you think? Oh, absolutely. Of course. Like, that's an easy question. Oh, and by the way, most Americans think that, too, because when you look at the head-to-heads in a general election, uh, Nikki Haley is beating Joe Biden by double digits. Uh, one of the last polls I saw was 17 points. But I will also add, it's not only the president's responsibility to do this. It is Congress's role to step up. So, yeah, there's a lot of people that should be responsible for this, uh, not just whoever's in the White House. So that just brings me to my last question, and maybe it's relevant to, to some of your comments there. And that's, what's your next act? You know, what are you you looking to do next? And, and is AI going to be at the center of it? My goal is to stay at the nexus of technology, foreign policy, 
and and national security. And so I will be, you know, likelihood going back into investment banking, um, where I worked with a lot of these companies and making sure being on the inside and seeing how this stuff works. When I was in Congress, I thought I knew this stuff. You know, I was holding hearings on AI and quantum and IOT. And I thought I was like, you know, a big brain on this. And then when you get out of industry, you're like, holy mackerel, this stuff is like moving faster and being able to see that cutting edge has been exciting. So uh, I'll continue to uh, be playing a role in all this and, and continue to talk about these things and try to provide insights on what we should be doing, whether it's in the national security space or the legislative space. Have you rolled out a return to politics? You know, I, I never rule anything out, but, you know, I always tell people it's a fool's errand to think about anything other than the current election. And I'm no longer on that ballot. And so to me, my political career is probably not over. But now I'm looking forward uh, to continuing to help companies and impact my community in a different way. Excellent. Well, uh, Congressman Hurd, great conversation. Appreciate you joining us here on Politico Tech. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for, thanks for focusing on these important issues. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our managing producer is Annie Reese. Our producer is Afra Abdullah. And our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. See you back here tomorrow.